Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will continue teaching us from Genesis chapter 5 on the life of Lamech and how we can learn what to do from Lamech's life example of crying out to God when we're tired, under heavy burdens, and we don't know what to do next. Now, as we approach Christmas time, we have so much to be thankful for. The Friendship with God radio program is thankful for your listenership, and we hope that you are enjoying this Old Testament expository preaching and teaching from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Now, we cannot continue to air this Bible teaching program on this station if you don't support it. And so we would like to ask that if you would consider making a one-time or even a small monthly contribution to support Friendship with God, we'll keep Tom Cantor's tremendous Bible teaching messages airing for you to listen to and grow in your friendship with God. Now, you can donate online at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or you can donate by calling us now or after the program at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. We also want to remind you that Tom Cantor also has a bookstore with all of his writings, tracks, DVDs, and teaching. And if you'd like to order any of Tom Cantor's materials, you can do so by going online to friendshipwithgod.org. Now, here's Tom Cantor, our Bible teacher on Friendship with God. Unto God by reason of the bondage. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect unto them. That's like Lamech. I mean, Lamech was like the children of Israel. He's sighing, they're sighing, he's crying, they're crying because of the hard bondage they have, because of the wrong hard bondage he has. And it says there, but God hears Lamech. Like he heard the Israelites there. And just like God heard Lamech, and just like God heard the Jewish people in Egypt and made Moses to be an easing for them, a comfort to them. He made Moses a Noah to them when he took them out of their burdens. That's what Noah became to this family. I mean, when you think of Noah, you think of Noah, Noah's Ark, the boat, you know. <laughs> but Lamech died before the flood, so how could he bring comfort to him? But he brought an easing to Lamech and his family. How did he bring that? How did Noah bring the comfort and the deliverance to Lamech? Well, it wasn't because Noah had the Midas touch, right? It wasn't because he came on the scene and everything he touched turned to gold and he brought them health and prosperity. It wasn't that at all. We don't read that. But what we do read about Noah is very interesting. And if you turn to 2 Peter 2.5, it tells us something that we don't see here about Noah when it says in 2 Peter 2.5, very interesting verse, it speaks about Noah, it speaks about God. It says, God spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person. There are eight people saved. A preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. So how did Noah comfort the people of God, Lamech and the people of God? By being a preacher of righteousness. That was a comfort. He was a preacher of righteousness. What does it mean to be a preacher of righteousness? How does that comfort? Well, Matthew 19, 17, a very interesting discourse between a man who runs up to the Lord Jesus Christ and calls him good. And in Matthew 19, 17, the Lord says, he said unto him, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. There's none good but one, that is God. So a preacher of righteousness, there's, no, there's none righteous. No, not one. Just God. 
Jeremiah 33, 16, that's where it says, In those days shall Judah be saved, and Jerusalem shall dwell safely. And this is the name wherewith she, this is Jerusalem, shall be called the Lord our righteousness. Not us our righteousness, but the Lord our righteousness. Isaiah 53, 11, the Lord Jesus Christ is called by the Father, my righteous servant. So shall my righteous servant justified many. And then when he came, the clouds separated, and the voice from heaven said, and lo, a voice, Matthew 3, 17, lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Why was he well pleased? Because he was righteous. There's only one person who's righteous, God himself, or the Lord Jesus Christ. When it says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness, it means that Noah preached about God. And that was the comfort. So he became a preacher in the family of Lamech, and he preached on the righteousness of God, and he brought comfort to the family when he did that. And they were blessed to have a preacher who taught them about God, a preacher who brought them the deliverance from the bondage of all this work and toil. And in that way, Noah was like Moses. Moses delivered the children of Israel out of, from under the bondage there. And so Noah turned the eyes and the focus of the people of God to God. And Noah did. The song says, O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. The things of this earth, with all the work and toil, will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's what Noah did. He preached about the righteousness of God. He turned their eyes on Jesus. He caused them to look full in his wonderful face. And the Lamech family, as they did that, found that the work and the toil of their hands grew strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Now we see clearly the answer. When life gets overburdensome, and work gets crushing, and we feel like we're just like cattle being prodded along with shock rods. Thank God for the Noahs that he puts in our lives, people who will speak to us in conversation about the Lord Jesus Christ and his righteousness, friends that talk that way, teachers who keep on the main thing, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, preaching on the righteousness of God, he said, that's why the Lord Jesus Christ said in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 29, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, all you who are working and toiling, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your soul. Learn of me, and you'll find Noah unto your soul. Learn of me, and you'll find easing and comfort and rest unto your soul. So, what did Noah preach about? The goodness of God. All he had done for man, as we've seen in the creation of God. The love of God and how God sought man after he sinned and didn't just judge him. The provision of God and how God provided the sacrificed animal skins to cover them. The care of God that he didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but he came in to save Adam. Some of the messages probably that Noah was preaching, the comfort, and this was a comfort to Lamech and his family, as it does for us. That's why it's important for us. Come to a Bible-preaching church. That's important. That's why it's important for us. Bible studies, hear preaching about God. That's important for us. It's important for us as believers to manage our conversation. It doesn't, our conversation as believers doesn't just float to God. 
It takes a lot of work. And Paul said that in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, when he said, I determined, which means I put a lot of work into, not to know anything about among you, which means he didn't want to discuss anything else, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. See, he held the, uh, the rudder of that ship of conversation in that direction. But there was something else that Noah preached as well. And he preached, as it says in 2 Peter, Peter 2, 5, it says that he preached that God was not going to spare the old world, but that God was going to save. So he preached that God was a God of judgment and salvation. And the two go hand in hand. And that's what he was preaching. The two go hand in hand, judgment and salvation. God must judge sin. Yes, as man corrupts the world, then God says, then it's an old world. And the old world will not be spared. Because man had made the world a place of sin and ungodliness. And so he said, it's old and I won't spare it. But the wonderful part of 2 Peter 2.5 is how the next two words says, Spared not the old world. That's not the last words for God. And so wonderful, he tags it on. Spared not the old world, but saved Noah. Spared not the old world, but saved Noah. That's how God operates. He must judge sin. There will be no sparing when it comes to judging sin, but there is salvation. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Yes, Ezekiel 18.4. But Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, 1 Corinthians 15.3. And the two always go together. And that was a message that Noah brought. He's going to judge sin. The flood is coming. But he's not willing that any should perish. There's a place for you on the ark. And how unwilling is God that any should perish? He's so unwilling that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God has a limit for sin in the world when he sees the ungodliness has become unrestrained, has become acceptable, has become the norm. And that point he judges with a terrible destruction, but before he does, he saves. We'll return with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, on Friendship with God in just one moment. Now, our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, is not just a teacher, pastor, scientist, CEO, and 2009 Whistleblower of the Year award recipient winner. He is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries, a Jewish evangelism ministry that has reached millions of lost Jewish people around the world, from the U.S. to South America to Israel and we've reached them with the gospel and Jewish materials so that they too might be saved. Now, Tom Cantor is a Jewish born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we want to reach other Tom Cantors that need to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. We do that through free gospel gifts and messages that we offer for free. You can help us by supporting this Bible teaching radio program by calling us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Saves, and he called that world the world of the ungodly. In Second Peter two five, he says the world of the ungodly, and he says it's an old world. So what does God call our world today? He calls it this present world. This present world. He says in Galatians one four, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world. So he calls this the present evil world. The other one was called the world of the ungodly. This is called the present evil world. He's calling it that, this world that tantalizes us, this world that seduces us, this world that allures us. 
that says, come have a love affair with me. That's this world, and he calls it this present evil world. And therefore, in 1 John 2.15, God says, don't love it. Love not the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So, Demas, 2 Timothy 4.10, hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. For Titus 2.12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. So we're told that. Now we come to Genesis 6. And Genesis 6, you thought we'd never come there, but we have. I calculated the other day, if we go at our current rate, we will be finished with Genesis in 297 years. (laughs) So don't go anywhere (laughs) for a while. Anyway, Genesis 6. All right, now here in Genesis 6, we read the story. In the first, first verse, And it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, daughters were born unto them. The sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, took them wives of all which they chose. And you read the rest there. The Lord said, My spirit will not always strive with man. Sets a limit, 120 years. And then it says, God saw, verse 5, the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. Now, here's a new development that takes place. It's very, very bad. It's described in these first six verses. So bad, it causes some very unusual words for God to say in verse 6. It says, it grieved him at his heart. There's a Yiddish word that is used to describe this kind of heartache. Here, it's the word tsuris. Tsuris. Whenever my grandmother would say that she had a tsuris, She wasn't talking about a surface irritation. She was talking about a deep aggravation. One of the words that she could pronounce, aggravation. She'd say, you would aggravate me. Anyways, aggravation of her heart. Very deep trouble. When a loved one is hopelessly sick and going to die, that's a tsuris. That's a tsuris. When my uncle Hyman, my grandmother's first son, became the doctor instead of the rabbi. And not just any school. Oh, no. Uncle Hyman, he went to Harvard. And then he returned to Petersburg, Virginia, and everyone was so proud of Hyman, the rabbi's son who became the doctor, trained at Harvard. She was so proud of him until that one night when Uncle Hyman was working at the hospital there in Petersburg and made some kind of medical error, and a lady died. And immediately, the star of the rabbi's family became the shame of the rabbi's family. And he brought so much shame on the family that the family finally asked him to leave. And he went into exile and settled in New York. But no one ever forgot it. No one ever forgot it. I mean, I went back to Petersburg, Virginia about five years ago. And this had occurred about 60 years ago. And the lady who I met there, recounted it all to me like it happened yesterday. Oh, yeah, your Uncle Hyman. That was a tsuros for my grandmother until the day she died. It was a deep aggravation of her heart. And what has happened here in Genesis 6 is a great tsuros for God, a deep aggravation in God's heart. It's so bad that God said, I'm sorry that I ever made man. Like my grandmother, who had such high hopes for my Uncle Hyman, And God had such high hopes for man. And instead of making God happy, man made God ashamed and very sad and angry. A great pseudos for God. And that's what happened here. And so what happened to make the great pseudos 
for God's heart. Well, we have the start of the history here in verse 1. We're told that men began to multiply on the face of the earth. Now we've seen in the last two chapters the two seeds. One's called the line of Seth, or the people with God, and the, or the sons of God. And the other's called the line of Cain, or the people without God, or the sons of the serpent, or the devil. And what we see in verses 1 and 2 are two groups referred to. One group is called just men, and the daughters were born to them. We could call them the daughters from the group called men. And the other group is called the sons of God. And the group called the sons of God, we know who that is. That's the line of Seth. That's the people of God. And the other group is just called men. That's the group without God, or the line of Cain, or the seed of the devil. And what are we told? Up until this point, the two lines have kept to themselves. The line of Cain's been on this side, characterized by murderers without God, and they were separate from the line of Seth on the other side, characterized by calling on God and walking with God. And now a situation arises where we are told that the daughters were born to the line of Cain or the line without God, so of course daughters are born to them. That's what you expect. Both to both lines, so. But these were not your common everyday daughters. Oh, no. Verse 2 said they were fair. That means that these daughters, well, God, they were drop-dead gorgeous. They were knock-your-socks-off, stunningly beautiful. Kind of daughters that mamas need to keep their sons locked up. <laughs> Don't let them out, because this is instant heartbreak daughters. And so what happened? Well, mamas from the line of God didn't keep their sons locked up. And there's a very significant word in verse 2, and it's the word saw. They saw. Them boys, they sat on the corner, they watched them, hot chicks, walk by. And then the next significant word in verse 2 is they took. So those are two words you've got to keep in mind. They saw and they took. You know, they had one criteria for getting a wife. She looks bad, move on, let her for the next guy. She looks good, grab her before the next guy comes along. There's no indication here at all that these boys, these men with God, had any criteria for choosing a wife that might be in the realm of moral integrity. There's no indication of that. No one seems to be asking the question, did I care if she was a person with a sterling character? Did I ask others to describe her to me? Did I ask others about her reputation? Did I ask her friends to describe her to me? Did I care about what they would say about her? Did I try to find out if under pressure she would lie and not tell the truth? Did I ask examples of others uh, how they've seen her under pressure and whether she was faithful to her promises when it cost her something? Did I ask if she ever told a lie and what it was? And did I question her to see if she really being honest with me about whether or not she ever told a lie? And if she really told me what the lie was? And how did she sort of seem when she was talking about it? Did she seem to justify herself when she told the lie? Or was she just kind of like, uh, or was she really acting sad over it? Did I care that she might be lying to me in the future? And, I might, and it might be nice to know if I can trust her. Did I try to find out if she's a kind and compassionate person? Or is she selfish and always choosing herself above others? What examples did I try to find out about how she was self-sacrificing to help others? Did I ask her brothers and her sisters about how it was growing up with her? How they shared things at home? Did I try to find out examples of histories that they would tell me of what she was like to live with? Did I try to find out if she loves what's right and what's good, what's pure, or if she doesn't care about that? Did I evaluate what I've seen in her of how she may have examples of how she turned away from defilement, uncleanness, sin? Did I look for examples of her trying to instill in others a love for purity and goodness? 
I mean, I'm going to be her husband, which means I'm going to be her new authority in her life. And so did I try to find out how she views authority in her life? Did I try to find out about the kind of relationship she had with her father? Since after all, I'll be taking his place. Did I try to find out examples of how she submitted to her father's authority? Did I ask her to describe her father to me? Did I care to know if she would speak highly with admiration about her father or just describe him as someone that she couldn't wait to get out from under his authority? Because it's likely that's how she's going to be speaking about me before too long when the honeymoon's over. Did I ask her the question of if you was possible that you could change anything in your father, what would it be? Because it's likely that that's what she's going to be saying about me. Why don't you change? Did I care what kind of a lifelong friend and companion she would make for me? Did I ask her brothers and her sisters to describe her, how they described her? Did I ask her to describe her, what it's been like just to her as a friend and a companion whom they lived with? Did I ask them if they couldn't wait to get her out of the house or if they really didn't want her to leave the home? Because that might be what I'll be saying about her when the honeymoon's over. Did I ask her if she could change anything about her brothers and sisters? What would it be? Because again, she may be saying that about me. Did I ask her what she thinks about life and children, seeing as how she comes from a line of murderers? Did I ask her what she likes and dislikes about children? Did I observe her around children? Did I see how she interacts with children? Because I want her to be the mother of my children. And so it might be nice to know what kind of a mother she's going to make. Now that I've evaluated the area of her moral integrity, let me now evaluate the area of our spiritual kinship. Did I tell her that I come from a line with God and I know she comes from a line without God? And did I ask her if she wants to cross over the line and have God in her life? Or does she just want to continue in her life as she's been raised without God? That might be nice to know. Because we're going to have one home between us, and it's, going to, it's either going to be a home with God, without God, or a conflict and a war inside. Did I ask her what she knows about God, what she thinks about herself and God, to try to find out, are we related as the seed of God? Did I ask her if she wants to learn about God, get closer to God, or if she just wants to stay away from God? Because I want to be with God, and I want to get closer to God. And so I'm trying to find out if we're going to have a lot of trouble in our home. Did I ask her what she thinks will happen to her after she dies? Because I'm going to heaven. I'm related to Enoch. He just was taken off this life. And I want to make God happy because I'm going to go see him. She has shared those views. Did I ask her how she views the murder of Abel by the starter of her line, Cain? And did I ask her how she views Lamech, who bragged about murder? Because if she didn't say she was ashamed about what they did, she's not on God's side. Now, none of those questions were asked by any of these men. None of those questions about moral integrity, none of those questions about spiritual kinship, there was only one question asked by those sons of God, and it was just simply, was she pretty? Yes, take her. No, leave her. And God says, all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, pride of life, it's not of the Father. It's of the world. The world passes away. 2 Corinthians 4.18, we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. The things which are seen are temporal. Things which are not seen are eternal. And the tragic words was they chose in verse 2 with no consultation of anybody else. Did I ask anybody else? No, they chose. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the guidance we receive in your word. And we pray, Lord, that as we read about those who went the wrong way, that you would 
Lord, help us to learn and to realize that we're one step away from going the way they did. And help us, Father, to walk with you as Enoch did. Thank you for this passage in Jesus' name. Amen. Another fantastic message from Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program as we've studied the scriptures of Genesis chapter 22 with Abraham and Isaac. We want to encourage you to support this Bible teaching radio program by going online to friendshipwithgod.org to donate one time or calling us at 800-247-3051. We can set you up for a one-time donation or a monthly reoccurring donation, which helps us to continue airing on this station in this city. Again, 800 800- 247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. You can call us right now, or you can mail in your donation or even an encouraging note or letter to Tom Cantor, our Bible teacher, by writing to Friendship with God. That's P.O. Box 711-330. That's Friendship with God, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California, That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. And again, that's Friendship with God, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California, 92071. Or again, call us at 800-247-3051. And we'd like to encourage you to go online to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for Tom Cantor's daily devotional verse that'll come to your phone or to your email you can also find Tom Cantor's daily devotional verse on Facebook. Just search for Tom Cantor, Friendship with God. And you can also find Israel Restoration Ministries on Facebook. You can receive your daily devotional verse through Facebook, Friendship with God, Tom Cantor, or Israel Restoration Ministries, all on Facebook. Or for more information, again, call us at 800-247-3051. Thanks for listening, and join us again tomorrow at this same time.